There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Gary Bloom, and this program is called On the Sporting Couch. I'm a counsellor and psychotherapist, and that means I work one-to-one with all sorts of people who are having or have experienced problems in their day-to-day lives. It's sometimes called a talking therapy. It doesn't mean the individual is ill or sick. It just means they feel the need to discuss the things that are going on in their lives because they're going through a tough time. One in four of us will experience these strong feelings that can overwhelm us at some stage in our lives. My training allows me to work with people, but especially sportsmen and women, who are dealing with depression, performance anxiety, relationship and work issues, as well as addictive behaviours. I'm undertaking this project to help widen the understanding of mental well-being in sport and beyond. Nearly everyone listening will know of someone who's been in this position at some stage, and hopefully this programme will give a greater understanding of what goes on between therapist and the person who today is on the sporting couch. Meet Duncan Bell, a former England rugby union prop whose club career, international career and personal life have been profoundly affected by some of the issues we're going to hear about today. He played nearly 400 club games, including Sale Sharks and Bath, and wore the white shirt of England five times in a career that lasted nearly 20 years. Duncan was a player who measured his success in inches and his failure in miles. So, in the next hour, I hope you'll hear what I think is a brave admission by an elite athlete that the life they were leading as a professional sportsman wasn't all it looked like from the outside. Welcome to On the Sporting Couch with me, Gary Bloom, and ex-rugby international, Duncan Bell. So, so what's it like right now being in a radio studio being on the verge of talking about some very difficult things? Well, I'd say it's probably about 16, 17 degrees in here and I'm sweating. Uh, really uncomfortable, really uncomfortable talking about it, uh, which is um, going to sound strange because once I start going with something, I can't stop. I've got verbal diarrhoea about it. But, um, you know, the whole way in today, just on the train, thinking about what I was going to say, or not preparing anything, but just thinking about mm. the whole situation and get very uncomfortable very nervous about it and uh um and even though i'm passionate about trying to help people with mental health problems um i find it increasingly difficult to talk about it 
Well, one of the things I'm going to say before we really get underway is I don't want you to feel you have to talk about anything. And right, let's wrap it up. Let's get out. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> enough. <laughs> um, if you feel uncomfortable about talking about a topic, we can yeah. stop. Or you can say, Gary, actually, I'd rather not talk about that. So you have, you have that power to stop. Okay. Um, let's let's go, go right back uh, to growing up mm-hmm. and being, being a young kid. What was it like? Uh, I think I had a really good childhood. Mm. Middle-class family. Um, Mum and Dad were together for a, a proportion of that. And... Um, and I, I said I grew up in a in a in a fantastic village, three or four miles um, from where I live now, on the edge of the Cotswolds. I don't look back on my childhood with ever any with with many negatives. Really, I I I, I loved my childhood, and and that a lot of that actually came to um, a lot of my memories from childhood. Actually, are sporting memories. Hmm. So, um, just very. Very happy, really. Yeah. So you're a sporty kid. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just um, yeah. My dad tells a story um, about you know as soon as I could sit up as a baby, he would roll a ball to me, uh, and I'd try and catch it and obviously throw it back. And uh, and I remember him taking to me uh, to swimming um, as a as a as a wee lad, and um, and made, you know, dragging me down to to rugby practice and. Uh, um, so yeah, everything, everything was and cricket, and, and but everything was. It was very. My dad obviously wanted me to play sport, but just because he was a naturally sporty bloke too, and uh, but it was very much part of my soul. So, what, what were relationships like at home with with siblings and, and mum and dad? Um, uh, just give me a sec. <laughs> Um, just give me a sec. Sorry, take all the time. Now this is why I was nervous on the train coming in. Um, life at home. Uh, it was um, it was a conservative um, household. Um, as I said, it was a middle class but conservative household. Um, my memories of um, of home um, as a kid were um but my dad wasn't there very often mm-hmm. um uh, whether he was or not I don't actually I can't remember I, you know I don't my memory is ter- terrible at the best of times but that's the way I uh, that I can remember it he was in hotels a lot and he was he was a national um manager and he would be around the country so um um it felt like he wasn't there a lot which was you know, it wasn't too much of an issue because I always knew he'd be back at weekends to take me to rugby, so that wasn't too much of an issue. But um, uh, it was, um, I wouldn't say it was a conventional relationship as a family we had, and uh, and it's gone on to be um, a bit EastEnders, if I'm honest. <laughs> you see, you laugh there, but I suspect that hides a lot of pain. Um... Well, yeah, it's just, yeah. For what, yeah, it's, it's, I'll be honest, it's not been great the last few years, but yeah, you move on with it, don't you? So, it is what it is. Um, uh, yeah, I'm getting comfortable, Gary. If I'm honest, <laughs> um, let's move on. 
tell me that 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 um that cusp between realizing you were not only pretty good at sport but you're probably exceptional at sport how did that manifest itself to you well when did i realize mm. i think i've always realized i'm I've been good at sport. Like I said, my old man used to uh, chuck a ball at me since I can remember. And uh, whatever, whenever I've picked up a ball or a bat, I've been good at it. Just one of those really annoying people <laughs> that got pretty good hand-eye coordination. That yeah. I'll just take a, up a sport and I'll be good at it. So I, so I think where I'm, where I want to ask is, is: Has sport for you been a type of therapy? If I didn't have sport. Or if I didn't have that release, I have no idea what sort of bloke I'd be or how bad I'd be. Give me uh, an idea. Well, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. I'm, well, maybe I'm thinking. And this is the other, the flip side of it. Well, if I didn't have sport, maybe I would be completely normal. Who knows? It's the parallel universe. No one knows. No one knows that. I might have. My dad might have not have chucked a ball at me when I was um, um, near eye to a grasshopper, and I might have been academic, and I might have been bloody politician or um, a doctor or therapist whatever it might be and I might be someone completely different so um, it's a difficult question to ask I am who I am mm. and I'm relatively good at sport and but I love sport whatever it might be I'm I, I love to be involved with it so I'm wondering what Costa is to you how hard is it for you to come always portray something different to what's going on internally was well, mentally very tiring because um, uh, it's constantly I'm, it's constantly on the whiz my brain um, and very rarely shuts off. Um, it's uh, I, you know, I used that word before of fraud and that's exactly how I feel. I don't think I've ever called myself that before, but that's how I feel. Everything I've done in my life, I feel like I've been a fraud. Like everything, um, especially well obviously my achievements if i've if i've actually had any you know the, what those achievements have been i've i always think to myself well that was a bit of luck wasn't it how did i do that um so it's um i can't ever give myself a pat on the back which is really frustrating because sometimes actually i look i look try and take a step away i'm very i would do that all the time to take a step away and try and look at both sides of the stories and I think so. Oh, I've actually done all right there. But then I'll always. I might think to myself, I've done all right. But then it was like, ah, but. <laughs> so somebody like a, like a therapist or a coach telling you what a good player you are, how I well you've done. Could not does, handle that. I could not, not handle that. Doesn't mean anything. Does no, it? No, not at all. Whenever I was a player, I I, I was told throughout my um, career by coaches at some point or other. Mostly it was negative, but uh, but. Um, but when the, the the positive occasions they come in and say belly well done you've done this da, 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 da. and everything behind I'd be I'd be you know sitting there smiling going oh thanks thanks coach thanks coach thanks coach but in my head but in my head thinking to myself what are they actually thinking what do they actually think they, 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 there's got to be there's got to be something here mm. that I've messed up with or I, um, there's not there's there's something they're lying to me. So Duncan, let's uh, let's talk about rugby in particular, um, and not always the sort of success that you would have hoped early on in your career when you're about sixteen, seventeen. No, um, but I go on to say um, that my career has been a massive disappointment to myself from the whole way through it, to be honest. Um, but if we're talking about sixteen and seventeen. Um, 
that's where it's that's probably where I realised actually I was pretty good at sport um, in that I was um, at 16 um, I uh, was just in a tutor group at school and uh, there was an announcement to say that um, there were rugby trials coming up and I had been playing or was playing you know junior rugby at Bath at the time yeah. and um, the school I was at didn't play sport really other than hockey so it was to get this announcement in our tutor group that there was a rugby trial was one very surprising and two I didn't even know a rugby, what a rugby trial was so I was like well I'd, I'd fancy giving it that a go so I asked my tutor what it was and uh, he said I had to turn up at such and such a date and I told my dad and he drove me along and I got in and I got into Stroud and Districts under 16s and then Stroud and Disket districts played a couple of other districts, and I got into the county, and then the southwest, and then ultimate, and then went on to play for England schoolboys at sixteen. And that's when I realised actually I'm pretty good at this game. And but not only that, I was at the same time. I think sixteen seemed to be when I was a lad anyway. When the trials for all sports seemed to come up, because uh, at the same time I was, I considered myself at sixteen to be equally good as good at cricket, and I loved cricket and. Uh, you know, in the summer months I threw myself into cricket. I was passionate about cricket, and then in the winter months it was all about rugby. And um, that same year, um, I got selected for Gloucestershire County Cricket at sixteen. Um, had trials for the Southwest and didn't get in. What happened to you then? What happened to you emotionally? Well, I was gutted because I actually at the time I I preferred um, I preferred cricket to rugby. I thought I was a better cricketer, but I was that sense of failure of not getting in in the in the in in the cricket was um um was pretty hard you know I played for um, rugby for England and I just naturally assumed not naturally assumed that's the wrong word because I don't assume anything but I considered myself a better cricketer so I thought right well I've played rugby for um sorry played rugby for England um and now I'm going to go on and play cricket for England um but I didn't get in I was I, I couldn't understand it I couldn't understand um, what I'd done wrong. Um, so, how did you deal with that disappointment? Um, I, I don't think I. I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't think I did. Um, I was gutted. I was absolutely gutted. Absolutely gutted. Um, I don't really know how I did it. I just. It was. Um, it's always been a bugbear. You might be able to tell. Um, <laughs> for something that happened twenty six years ago. You see, I'd, I'd like to pick up the fact that I don't know what I've done wrong. It's almost like a self-blame. Maybe there were just better players who were having that child. Never happens, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, obviously, obviously were. And, and this is the thing, this is the thing that I said to you at the start of this, when I, when I feel ultimately my career has been let down to myself. Um, and someone said... Um, um, I, I saw it on TV recently... Um, well, pundit said um, that you know if you don't get enough caps for England or your club or whatever it might be it's because you're not good enough and he's right I probably wasn't good enough but I look back and I think to myself well I could have been and I should have been and I didn't do enough to get to that point and so my um, you know my my achievements um, at the, the, the elite level um um, with with England, and I'm very proud to get five caps. Um, but on the flip, but as much as I am proud, even more so, I am gutted. It wasn't fifty or a hundred. Um, Would any number of caps ever 
Prob- satisfied you? Probably not. If you're the record caps holder of, of no, the... I don't think I would ever be satisfied because there would have been that time when I wasn't selected or I was injured uh, and didn't play or I got taken off with 10 minutes to go mm-hmm. and didn't play that extra 10 minutes and um, so it's insatiable, isn't it? Yeah, it, yeah. It's like a, I suppose, like a drug. You know, I can't, I can't, I can't stop failing. That's 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 probably the issue. Is I can't stop that fear of failure and actual failure. How I perceive failure constantly happening. But also the success in your life. It strikes me can't be banked. There's no way of that you holding on to the success that you have had in your career and somehow the failures are measured in a completely different unit yeah yeah um it, yeah you're right i the yeah the the negatives they accrue interest and the positives don't have any go where brexit <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to On the Sporting Couch, an on-air therapy session with a sports person who's been very open about their mental health issues and how it's affected their careers. My guest is former Bath and Sale Sharks tight head prop, Duncan Bell. I'm therapist Gary Bloom. One of the things that struck me very deeply about talking to you the other day was that what you said was for the 80 minutes of a rugby union game, you're completely involved with what's going on in the match any sense of depression anxiety just gets cut out is that right yep absolutely i don't remember any moment during a rugby game um when i was on the field that i ever had any sort of um problems at all not nothing nothing i don't remember that at all before before the game wow yeah at half time they started to creep back in but then as soon as the game started again for the second half, no, absolutely fine. So what were the what was going on for you before kickoff, during the half time when maybe you were being criticised by the coach or the manager, and after the game? Um well my um this go uh, this goes back to um a, a conversation I remember having with whoever it was, with the England England and the sixteen schoolboys. Um Sorry, it was England under 18. So I was 18, 17 at the time. And um, so we're all 17-year-old kids. There's a question I handed around to the players, and it was all to do with you know, how we perceive ourselves um, as people, and as players, and uh, basically about positivity. And it was... I, I don't remember any of the questions at all, but I remember it was one to five. And as it turned out, one was a very negative emotion and five was a very positive emotion. And so I'm answering all these questions, and I'm not even fit, never had ever done one of these tests before, so I knew nothing about it. And I was like, "Oh, these are interesting questions," and I was just filling them out, and um, just filling out. And at the end of it, uh, it was they said, "All um, oh, right, um, the England team, the, the the full England team, have just done the same test," and uh, um, and. Jason Leonard, who had millions of caps for England and the Lions, who was a current prop at the time, um, he they said he is every single one of those questions for him is five. He's positive about this, all the way down. I looked at my results, and I was like, oh my god, mine were all ones and twos, and I just at that point think to myself, wow, well I'm not Jason Leonard, I'm someone completely and utterly different. 
and um, and that moves on to the way I I um, um, build myself up emotionally for a game how I psych myself up for a game which was uh, the way I would um, psych myself up for a game would be to have to be flooded full of negative emotion so I would which I understand is the wrong way to do it <laughs> I've been told that many times um, but um, I can't help it that's so, just the way I did it so what sort of emotions were you telling yourself before you started a game when you're getting changed well I would um, uh, <laughs> uh, I, well I okay, came before every single game this is I can't believe I'm going to say this Everywhere you go, um, there's always obviously um, uh, change rooms. Obviously, uri- urinals, and normally there's little stools. There's, there's normally most clubs have three little urinals. So, the, <laughs> I don't know how this ever happened, but I would always. Um, I can't believe I'm going to say this. That I would always pee in the right hand urinal, mm-hmm. and I would say to myself, "Tight heads are going to have an awesome game today." And loose heads are going to get stuffed. Because <laughs> I was playing tight head. So I was like, I have to pee in this right-hand urinal because that urinal is on the right-hand side of the scrum and he's going to dominate. And that was the only positive thing I think I ever did um, before a game. Other than that, I used to think to myself, um, I tried, I tried, tried so hard to visualise myself having a good game, to visualise myself running the ball and handing people off and scoring tries and making big tackles. But if that went through my head... As soon as that went through my head, the next emotion or the next visualization was me of get, getting annihilated in a scrum, missing a tackle, losing the game, dropping a ball over the line, um, breaking my leg, breaking my neck, um, letting people down, um, and that's the way I, I and I went into a game every single game with complete fear because of it. But that's how I that's how I did it, and I don't remember doing it any differently ever since I was a sixteen year old kid with with the England at schoolboys. Just the way I did it, and but I can't stop it. It's just like this insatiable urge to think negatively, um, and I don't want to. I don't want to be that bloke. I don't want to do it. It's a pain in the ass. I'll be honest, and it's it's tiring. It's tiring, and it's. Um, and I'd I'd love to be able to be Jason Leonard when he was playing for England and and, and ticking all those five boxes and um, being uber confident, being the James Haskells of this world and being outwardly um, positive all the time and having no negative emotion. But that isn't me, and I can't I can't seem to stop doing it. Did you ever consider that Jason Leonard was just ticking the boxes that? <laughs> That people expected him to tick, and uh, well, I did learn from that experience, Gary. So uh, let's just say uh, boxes one and two were never ticked again. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that you know that what we, we talked about earlier on in our conversation about hiding the truth from 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 uh, hiding the truth inside yourself, and it becomes a mirror image. Yeah, um, isn't that li- literally what's going on with the box ticking? Um. I su- yeah, I, su- I suppose to. I suppose so. I did because I was such a naive lad back then. Some would still still say I am naive, but I just, um, I was answering those questions honestly, and I. But I couldn't help. Um, I couldn't help, and I, I still can't help. Um, motivating myself 
by demotivating myself. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When did you realise that there was a problem? I was uh, in a in a particularly bad place um, uh, mentally, but I was also going through a divorce at the time, which obviously exacerbated all the problems that I have. Um, and we were on a pre-season trip when I was at Bath. We were on a pre-season trip to Portugal, you know, the pre-season camp, and. Um, and we were away for, I think, a week, um, and it was all hard work and what have you. But we were—I was playing table tennis. So I was playing table tennis with um, David Flatman, and we finished the game. And he wandered off, and uh, and I and I wandered past the doctor, and the doc just um, uh, pulled me to one side. I said, "Belly, can I just have a word?" Said, yeah, Jules, what do you want? And he goes, uh, "Just sit down." And he's, "How are you feeling?" And I was like, "All right, mate. What's up?" He goes, "Belly, how you feeling, mate?" And gone, broke down. Don't know what happened. It flicked a switch. He he just pressed a switch, and um, it all. I broke. I, I broke. Completely broke. Um, mm. And I just thought it was the end of the world, the end of me. And I couldn't stop myself. I couldn't. I couldn't stop it. Um, horrendous, absolutely horrendous. Thinking back to it, um, you seem affected by it even. even yeah, now. I remember. I remember it vividly. Unfortunately, um, and it was. Uh, it didn't last very long. I'm, I say very long. It was just had a five minute conversation with the doc, and um, luckily, it was far enough away from anyone that they could actually see. Are you glad you broke down? No. Um, you wish you wanted to hold it in longer. No, I just 
wish I was someone else. <laughs> you wish you were someone else, or someone well, else. yeah, I, someone else. I don't. I don't. Uh, I wish it. I don't wish it had ever happened. No, I don't. I'm not proud of it in any way. I, I wish I don't remember it. I wish it hadn't happened. Um, I wish I wasn't like I am. Um, is that shame? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Because shame is usually the strongest human emotion going. And it's just embarrassing. It was embarrassing. Um, I, I've always been an emotional guy. I can always remember. I can remember watching ET. I was probably eight, <laughs> less than that, probably. I was younger than that, and bawling my eyes out at the end of it. And um, and it's been the same ever since. Everybody, I watch a, a chick flick, and I'm I can't help it. I'm at the end of it, I'm terrible. I listen to a piece of music, mm. and, I, and it sets me off. So I, I, um, I've always been emotional, but I, am, I don't like doing it. I hate it with a passion, and uh, um, I wish it was, uh, I wish it didn't happen. But it did, and that's probably when I thought to myself, right, well, there you go, there is something up. Um, let's crack on. Let's, let's uh, see what we can do to resolve it. And you got great um, encouragement uh, and confidence by another uh, great rugby union player, John Kerwin, mm-hmm. who. Has also been very open about his his mental health issues. He has, yeah. Runs his own charity. Um, he was at the top of his sport when he was playing, probably the world's best rugby player, and had a huge breakdown. And uh, I, um, you know, I came out when I um, spoke openly when I retired from my career initially in 2012, uh, and did the article with the Telegraph. Um, just before that, that's on the lead up to that article being written. I was I played in a Help for Heroes game, and it was a little bit like a bar bars game at, at Twickenham, and something I was really proud to be involved with. And and J.K. was the uh, coach, and I thought to myself, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a beeline for this bloke and talk to him openly about it because he he talks openly about mental health issues. And I thought, well, I'll never get a better better opportunity. And I completely bottled it when I turned up. I didn't say anything to him. I just introduced myself. Said he went, "Hi, I'm J.K. I'm Belly. Let's go and play some rugby." And I didn't talk to him. And I was, it was on the tip of my tongue the whole time I was there. And it was, bring it back to that. It was shameful. I didn't want to talk about it, so I didn't. And then I go on and do the article, <laughs> ridiculously, <laughs> having not spoken to J.K. So I'd give it, get it out there in the world for everyone to see and read. And then um, at the end of that season, again, I get selected for the Bar Bars to play against. Um, England, Ireland, and Wales—I think it was—and um, I was part of the squad. And J.K. was coach. And I remember walking into the hotel in Cardiff, and I walk into the foyer. I got my bag, and J.K. is there. And he takes one look at me, and I look at him, and I could see he's registered. And he goes, and he has his arms out, and he goes, "Belly, why the fuck you tell me?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, I have no idea, mate. I have absolutely no idea." Um, Shame. Yeah, complete. Well, I, yeah, I do know. Shameful, and he, he just and he gave me a massive hug, mm-hmm. and um, and we had a great chat for 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 ages afterwards, and <clears throat> um, and he just spoke to me about it, and um, yeah, and a, and a guy that isn't ashamed of it isn't ashamed of it, and I wish I was like that, but I'm not. Um, and he just <clears throat> he just. Um, yeah, he's just uh, just a bit of an inspiration, really, the way he's coped with it and got on with it, and I, I sort of haven't. In the midst of all this, you have a divorce, which affects you deeply as well. Yeah. 
How does that add into the picture? Well, it certainly didn't help. Um, That was probably when I went rapidly downhill, if I'm honest. Um, Obviously, life events don't help um, uh, with depression and anxiety and stress. And I remember in 2001, um, years and years ago, when no one ever did any shows like this, no one spoke about it, um, it was it was completely taboo, and in, in two thousand and one, I remember feeling like this wasn't something right, and um, making an appointment with a GP and sitting outside the, the surgery waiting for my appointment. The first time in my life I was early for an appointment, and um, <clears throat> and waiting and getting to the, the time and looking at my watch, going, it's time to go in. And I think to myself, what am I going to talk to this GP about? And then I was, you know, sitting there going, well. What, what can I possibly say? How can I describe it? Because I didn't know I had potentially had depression at the time or anxiety. I didn't know what it was. I just wasn't feeling right. And I was like, right, I'm going to go in there and just go, hi, Doc. Something's wrong, but I don't know what. So I sat there and the clock ticked by and the clock ticked by and I literally went, mate, man up, will you? This is pathetic. And I just started the engine and buggered off, went. That's enough. But what the hell am I doing? But it wasn't until that moment with the doc, when he prescribed me citalopram and he gave me, and he's going, told me to go and get, uh, go and see a, <coughs> a therapist. And it wasn't, you know, that that's when it. I definitely went. Well, that's it. That's what I've got. Oh right, okay. A bit of a moment. Oh, right, that, that's what it is. Um, which was a great relief, um, as well as. Shameful <laughs> and weak um, and pathetic and and all the negative adjectives you can think of, um, but at the same time a relief and uh, that I could do something about it. But at the same time, it was how can I um, how can I look anyone in the eye again, um, knowing that knowing that I've that, that's who I am um, so yeah I was pretty low <laughs> at that point and, and, the, and the divorce um, certainly didn't help it but that's probably of my own making so there it is You're listening to Talk Sport and this is On the Sporting Couch with me Gary Bloom Joining me in the studio today is former England Rugby Union prop Duncan Bell whose club and international career have been deeply affected by anxiety and depression. I, I, I don't know why. I don't know why um, I've, I have always um, spoken uh, more openly, more honestly with women than I have ever with men. Um, maybe that's because I've always been surrounded by 40 massive Aggressive rugby players um, throughout my life, and that's not something you tend to open up about. Did they give you hugs? Yeah, but they were man hugs. They were different. Um, they were hugs after scoring a try, after you know, high five from doing something good. Um, Did your dad hug you? Uh, oh, blimey, that's a question. Probably. Um, mate, got me. Ah. Oh. Take your time. Um, I don't know. I can't remember. Um, I can't remember. Yes, must have done, but I don't remember. 
I know this is a tough question, Duncan, and I don't ask it lightly. Are you able to hug your kids? Oh, yeah. What does yeah. it mean to you when you do? Everything, everything. Uh, what, what, that's, a, that's a really interesting question because everything I do with my kids... <laughs> I've never really thought about it like this. Um, yeah, I hug them. I hug them a lot. And I, uh, and I tell them I love them. But I'm going to tell my kids that all the time. Uh, so whenever I do see them, I always tell them. And it's not overkill. I just, um, I just think it's important as a as a parent to be able to tell your kids that. Um, and it was a different era back then, um, to be fair. So it was, and like I said, it was a conservative household, and um, uh, and. and Emotions were not spoken of, um, so you know I was petrified to bring girlfriends home. I remember that, uh, not that I had many <laughs> as a as a lad. Um, I, I couldn't certainly couldn't bring girlfriends home, but I don't want them. I don't want my kids to be like that. I want them to bring girlfriends and boyfriends back. And um, why didn't you want your parents to see a girlfriend or a girlfriend of yours? Um, shame yeah yeah i think it was yeah yeah very much so um would they be critical of her do you think they would i be... don't know it never happened <clears throat> i never brought them back mm-hmm. first girlfriend i ever brought back was my first wife ever um when i was um when i was 19 i was the first one ever mm. um <laughs> and now my mum doesn't talk to my wife so <laughs> so i've uh it's all uh, like I said. It's all to cock. Um, so um, that feels very painful when you say that. Well, that's bull. If I'm honest, Gary. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, Do you want your mum to love your wife? Well, my my mum has never seen my um, my son, so and he's nearly two. So. Yeah, it's all very, it's all very. I, I would never ever be like that. Never ever in a million years would my kids be like that, regardless of what they did or haven't done or did do. Um, I would never ostracise my children, knowingly. Um, and people might listen to this interview and then say, "But yeah, but you don't live with your kids." Well, okay, I don't. Um, but it doesn't mean I don't love them. It doesn't mean. Um, I'd ever <laughs> further turn my back on them. I suppose not. Not that I wanted to turn my back. <sighs> Part and parcel of divorce, unfortunately. But there we go. Uh, What's, what strikes me is, is how much pain you carry. Yeah, it's not great, mate. It's not great in my head, head Gary. It's, there are better places in this world. Let me tell you. Talk to me about about counselling and and something about medication because when I was being trained, what the what my trainer was said to me that um, that counselling works best with short term medication. Is that true? Well, in my experience, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, uh, it, um, you know, when I had my little moment with the doctor um, uh, in Portugal, um, he prescribed me. Um, antidepressants and then said go and see a therapist and uh, which was what I did 
and um, although I uh, I was probably on um, uh, medication for maybe a year um, maybe nine months or so but that was in conjunction with the therapy and I got to a point where I thought to myself well I want to because I felt I, it was a it was a failure <laughs> for taking the medication um, I wanted to get off as soon as possible I was a, it, it was a goal of mine to get off them, off them as soon as possible because um, I felt numb on them and I know that's what they're meant to do I know they're meant to do they're meant to take away that the end of the spectrums or the the, the bad end of the spectrum of of emotions but for me it took away both ends so not only did I not I I was numb I was somewhere in the middle I I wasn't sad and I wasn't depressed and I wasn't unhappy but I wasn't happy and I wasn't loving and I wasn't um I wasn't at that end of the spectrum either. There was both of them being taken away completely, being severed. Um, and I sat in the middle. And I hated it, wandering around in a haze. Couldn't stand it. Um, I almost wanted to be at the wrong end of the scale so I could feel the top end of the scale. I felt like it was more of a mm-hmm. um, a circle rather than a rather than a, a line, if you know what I mean. And um, so I was on them for about nine months with a the therapy and I felt I was getting, I was doing really well. Um, and I came off came off them for about another year, and then I started to um, I could feel myself. Well, no, I couldn't actually. It was my wife, bless her. Um, she kept her eye on me and keeps her eye on me, um, and and said to me that she thought I was I was struggling again, and I said no, I'm not. <laughs> and there you are. So I went back to the dock at that point. Um, She'll always tell you she's right, and she is. Um, and I went back to the doc, and he prescribed six more months. So I was, went, back, went back on for six more months. Again, I thought it was blimmin' failure, but um, but it set me on a straight and narrow. And then after that, I haven't used them since, and I haven't been back to a therapist since. Um, so, and that must be three years, four years or so. So um, you're doing well. You wouldn't believe it, would you? <laughs> I think doing After a all, all the negative comments <laughs> I've come out with today, you wouldn't believe it. But your negative comments, they're all about yourself. Yeah, uh, okay. I think I think there's a there's a split here, and the split here for me as a therapist is, is rugby is about being tough and having resilience, physical resilience, mental resilience, going into big games, taking big hits. That is one side of the sport. The other side is something that you have found very difficult to deal with, the anxiety, the depression. The two just don't seem to, in my opinion, sit very easily side by side. They don't. They don't. And um, and you're right. And it is, you know, it's been said to me very uh, many, many times about, you know, it's not that that's not the right environment and that um, um, you can't open up and um, you, you shouldn't open up to those sorts of characters. But it's the irony is when I did, it was it was a great experience. It was really emotional, and um, you know I did the article in the Telegraph, and and it came out, and I said, and I and I and I left it so long. I'd done the article, I knew when it was coming out, and I and I said to myself, well, I have to tell the coaches, I have to tell the players, otherwise they're going to read it and go, Belly, what what's going on, mate? Um, and I had to. I had to tell him and I knew when it was coming out and every day that went by 
it just went on and on. Mm. And I thought, I'll tell him today. No, I don't. No, I won't. I'll tell him today. No, I won't. No, I won't. I'll tell him today. Uh, and in the end, it was too late. And I, the day it came out in the morning, that's the day I told the coaches. <laughs> and luckily, we had, tr- you know, we had weights at 7.30 in the morning. So no, and this is four or five years ago, and there was not a great deal online at that point. So um, it wasn't out there in the public domain yet, but I knew it was going to be. And I had to, and I I was backed into a corner. I backed myself into a corner. I had to tell him. So I went to tell um, Serena McGeekin, um and Nick Blofeld, the chief exec of Bath at the time, Martin Hogg, the coach. And I said, "Lads, I've got I've got a word." And and I just said, "Look," and I explained what had happened to me. They didn't know because I expressly told the doctor of the club not to tell the coaches because I thought I thought, thought it was a, a weakness and that I didn't want it used against me for team selection which I thought it would do which I know I, when I actually take a step back I know it won't be but in my head it, at the time it would have been and I said look this is the way I feel this is what I've done um, I've done the article I've done it to try and help p- other people um, as well as myself um, and it's what it is and um and, and I, I expected to get a huge box to get bringing the game into disrepute and to have some sort of disciplinary. I, that's what I thought was going to happen. And they and <laughs> and Geach just went belly. Well done, mate. That's what he said. He just said, "Well done." I was like, "Oh, I didn't expect that reaction." There will be people, sportsmen listening to to this 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 show, who are struggling themselves. And hopefully we're going to widen our understanding of mental health issues in sport. What's your real message to people who are listening to this, struggling and saying, I know exactly what this feels like? Well, firstly, I feel sorry for them um, because I know how tough it can be. um, And there are many, many people in a worse situation than I've ever been in. Um, So, And I know how how hard it can be. But the best thing I ever did... um, was talk to my doc about it. Now I w- I was in an enviable position of I was twenty four seven with the doc. Every single day the doc was with me, um, and he saw me mentally go downhill. And he was the one that prompted me. But there are millions of people in Civvy Street, for want of a better word, that don't have that privilege. Um, that that aren't being closely monitored by a GP. But if you feel like you are slipping into that, don't have any shame or any reservation of going to seeing a GP because it's it's more prevalent in society than I think anyone actually realises and um, I would Im- imagine if someone does a survey and says have you ever suffered from this I bet there'd be loads of people that lie and say nope so it'd be a false reflection actually of, um, of how big a proportion of the population will have suffered from mental health at some point in their lives so I think the first point of call is to go and see a GP if you are unable to open up to your family I certainly wasn't because of the way my family is structured couldn't do that um, but if you can open up to close uh, you know, l- close ones do that to your spouse to your brother your sister do that um, see a GP go and get therapy the, the combination of therapy and medication was exactly the thing I needed to bring me from the brink of mentally collapsing forever, and those two com- that that combination brought me up to a degree where I can then self-medicate myself. In other words, I could 
um, I could I could get my I got myself into a mental state where I could work out uh, and monitor myself mentally and know exactly what I can and can't do and what I should be doing in the future. But you need to get yourself into that position, and you can only do that, I think, by going to your GP and and, and talking to about the options open to to you as a person. For a sportsman, you you are in the enviable position of having medically trained people on hand a lot of the time so and again from my experience they are completely confidential conversations you can have with your, with your club doc go and do it I, I expressly forget, uh, forbid my club doc from telling my coaches because I didn't want to get dropped on a Saturday in my head I was going to get dropped for um, being a little bit sad um that's how I felt um, and but there's no there's no difference between uh, in my head um, it was the same excuse right Betty can't play Saturday because he's got pulled hamstring Betty can't play Saturday because he's mentally unwell that's the way I saw it now there'll be other players thinking exactly the same thing but they shouldn't think like that because if you tell the doc and tell them to, <laughs> to button it don't tell the coaches they will do that and they'll, they'll help you to get the right course of treatment that you need and, and and that's the way it should be so and god i wish i'd done it earlier <laughs> i really do because it was uh um maybe i would have been a better rugby player because of it <laughs> who knows well joining me now is dr phil hopley expert in the field of sports psychiatry phil what, what, what's your reaction to duncan's story First of all, amazingly brave, mm. you know, and fantastic for the work that people like myself do to be able to encourage others to seek help. Um, but then the two things that jumped out at me were just the power of negative emotions like shame and self-blame and being unable to sort of value oneself. That's been writ large throughout Duncan's life, and it's still there. It's still a major factor for him. And then the thing that held him back, you know, that worry about what other people will think, the stigma, and how that links into, for elite sportsmen and women, confidentiality and fears about not wanting to seek help. So right at the end, Duncan said, if only he'd sought help better, uh, earlier, you know, what a difference it could have made. He could have been a better player. I've got no doubt that that would have been the case. Does Duncan's story resonate with many sportsmen that you've come across? Yeah, I mean, I've been running the sports practice at Cognacity now for getting on for 10 years, and we cover 15 sports in the UK. And and actually, it doesn't matter whether you're talking about a sort of 16, 17 stone, huge hulking rugby player or a very small gymnast that goes around. The themes are very, very similar because of the pressure that people are under to perform and then the additional pressure that they put themselves under because of their thinking and their behaviours. We see people with anxiety, with depression, with relationship problems, with turning to drink and alcohol as ways of coping. Just as we see with the general population, um, the, the pictures and the presentations are exactly the same. And finally, advice to sportsmen or sportswomen listening to this? Yeah, look, it's good to talk, and there is still that worry about where does that information get shared to, and that's one of the reasons why the player associations have set up confidential helplines such as the ones that we run. But the important thing is whoever you're comfortable talking to, talk to them. If it's a parent, if it's a sibling, if it's another half, it's a professional, don't keep these things internalised. Speak to somebody because it is really good to talk. You've been listening to On the Sporting Couch, a programme that attempted to shine a light on mental health issues in sport. 
I'm Gary Bloom, a psychotherapist, counsellor and sports broadcaster. And my guest in the studio has been ex-rugby union international Duncan Bell, whose career was deeply affected by mental health issues. Duncan's sporting career was blighted by his anxiety and depression. And the elite athletes I've worked with say the playing of the sport was often the easiest bit. The hardest part was after the final whistle went or the race was over. That's when they needed help. I hope this programme will have encouraged anyone who has or knows anyone who has had mental health issues to come forward to get help. And there are some helpful links on the TalkSport website if you Google this programme on the sporting couch. We hope to be back soon with more people who will be prepared to sit on the sporting couch. I'm Gary Bloom and please remember... There's no such thing as good health without good mental health. Goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.